Ephesians 6, 10 through 19 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggling is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of his darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and have done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And, the, and take the helmet of the salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this, is, this in view, be on the alert with all preference and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Trinity. Good job. I don't, I, I don't think I'm going to do that, but that, that's all right. That, that worked. That was what we needed. Great job, Trinity. Thank you for doing that. That, uh, that was special to me in a lot of ways. Uh, one, just having spent time with Trinity um, in different ways and with her family, um, and also getting to baptize Trinity. So that, that was neat. Um, just see what, what God has been up to. I think it is such a, a unique time um, for all of us. But as we get going, I just realized we forgot something, guys. Can you go ahead and turn the spotlights on? That sounds terrible that I'm asking for that right now. <laughs> I apologize for that. But the lighting I know on the video is not the greatest. So I think if we turn those on, that'll probably help a little bit. Sorry, Trinity, we should have done that sooner. That would have been the right time. But... It is a unique time because, obviously, the transition that Calvary is about to undertake. And, and as I was thinking and praying through some different things, I, I had the question to myself, God, would there be some things that, that you would want me to say? Would there be a, maybe a different message the last one or two? And I, as I was looking at the passage we've been in in Ephesians 6 for several weeks, I feel like the answer is no. I feel like we're very much in the right place. I feel like we're very much where we need to be. Because um, the battle is, is on. I, I don't think if, if anything we can say the battle is lessening, it's actually picking up. And we need to be prepared for that. And, and I can tell you, my own family, we, we feel that. We can see as you, as you start to move in the ways that God wants you to do, Satan is going to come at you. And so we, we have tried to be steady um, and stay in that. And Heather's in the nursery today because that's a place where she serves and loves. And we're just going to keep on. We're not going to stop no matter what God has and what God brings. But the same is true for each and every one of you as well. And so these last few weeks we've been in Ephesians 6. The title's been Unseen. Because as Paul writes, it's an unseen battle. It's a spiritual battle. But see, it's a battle whether you recognize it or not. It's not a matter of, is there a battle? It's a matter of, will you see that there is one? 
Because you're going in one of two directions. As you battle and as you fight, you're either moving towards Jesus or you're moving away from Jesus. There's no in-between. That idea of, well, I'm just going to kind of stay right here and, you know, maybe I'll spend some time with Jesus eventually. No, that's not how this works. The idea is you have to be making intentional decisions to move towards Jesus because you're going to go the other way. And any time in life, if you think, okay, I've reached a spot, I'm going to stay right here. It doesn't work that way. I mean, think about weight. Think about exercise. I found the spot. I'm going to stay right here. That takes work. And so realize it's a battle that we've got going on that is raging. But I think in California, that's, we ought to be used to that, right? One of the things we battle every single year are fires. And right now we're in fire season. I don't know if you know that. Officially, about June to September, that's our fire season. But the interesting thing is fire season continues to seem to grow earlier, later, and then just all together outside of fire season. This year alone, over 3,800 incidents, 30,000 acres burned in 2021. The fire's raging, and there's people fighting these all the time. But as I was thinking about that, because thankfully I can say I've never experienced that. As many people have, I've never been in a fire or lost anything. But it, it brought me to a place of asking myself, if I could only save one thing, Because if you've ever listened, they tell you if a fire begins, do not go back in the house to try and save anything. Do not do it. So if I was preparing, what what would be one thing I'd want to save? And I got to tell you, honestly, I I struggled with that. Because I can think of things related to my wedding. We've got Heather's wedding dress, which who knows if Sarah wear that one day. We've got photo albums. There's so many things that I would think to myself, I want. But see, in that moment, you have to realize what is the important things you need to hold on to, and what are the things you need to let go of. And see, that matters too in, in the battle, in this unseen battle. And I think where Paul finishes up with these last couple of weapons he's going to give us, I think what he's really trying to say, there's some things you need to hold on to. But there are also some things you need to let go of. And you've got to hold on so that you will be successful as we enter into this unseen daily spiritual battle. So before we dig into Ephesians 6, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you are good and faithful. I thank you for your word because your word is truth, because it's you. Jesus, you are the truth. This is a living book, active, has the power to to show us who we are, the power to to cut out those places that need to be removed. It has the power to give life because Jesus it is about you. And so I just ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would move through this time. Holy Spirit, you are the one who speaks. And I pray that you would help me to just be hidden behind the cross. And that Jesus, this would be about you because we need you in this battle. And I just pray that you help us to understand there are things that we've got to hold on to. But there are also things we need to let go of. So lead and guide as only you can. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we continue working through Ephesians 6, just keep in mind and remember a little bit of background for you where Paul is. Paul's in a Roman prison. 
And so all the time that he spent looking at a Roman soldier and seeing all the gear and everything that they're wearing and just thinking about and all that his life has meant, all that he's gone through and all the battles he's faced and the towns he walked in and people are stoning him and people are trying to kill him, have left him for dead and he's ran for his life, been let out in a basket on the outside of a a town. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by a snake, which should have killed him. All the things that have gone on. I think Paul understands battle. He understands the fight. But there's a phrase and a word, a couple of words that he continues to use, and it's this idea of put on. You've got to put on these things. They're not of any value to you unless you put them on. But see, what we're talking about is it's not just these tools. It's not just something for anyone. One of the things that I think is hard, especially as people encounter Jesus and those who follow Jesus, is they, they will say, and if you might have heard before, well, y'all are pretty exclusive. And the answer is, yes, we are, because we're following what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when Jesus says he's the way, and we have seen his word come to be, we have seen what has been put together over 2,000 years ago, and we have manuscripts of over 5,000 where we can look at this book and we can see and experience what it says. Yes, that's a very exclusive group. Because see, when it comes to a team, I, I can go to Dick's Sporting Goods and I can grab all the equipment. If we're playing baseball and I remember playing catcher and I'd have the shin guards and I, I'd have my cleats, I'd have my chest protector, I'd have my helmet, and yes, I wore a cup. I don't know why people don't use those today. Yeah, they should. And some of you all don't know what I'm talking about, do you? The, for a guy, a cup is a very important part because it protects things so you can have children later. Okay, that's what a cup is for. Okay, and we had a coach who would come by with a, a no, he'd come by with a bat, tap, tap, make sure you had it on. So you knew who did because they'd be like, no. okay. But see, you can get all the equipment on, but that doesn't make me a part of the team. I can do all that. I can go to Dick's Sporting Goods, get all the stuff, but I'm just a person wearing gear. You've got to be on the team. And that means you've got to come to know Jesus. There's got to be a point in time where you recognize you are not a God. You may act and live like you're one because you're the boss of your life. You're the captain of your ship. But you're really not. And until you come to that place where you say, I need Jesus. Why do I need Jesus? Because of sin. I have a problem within me that I cannot fix on my own. No matter how hard I try to get things right, it's exactly what Paul said in Romans 7. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. There's that wrestle within us. And so there's a place where you've got to get on the team. You've got to come to know Jesus. And you might have heard people say, what really matters is who you know. And that's absolutely true. And the question is, do you know Jesus? Not do you know about Jesus. A lot of people have a lot of knowledge and they have no experience. And see, what we're talking about is, do you know him? And that doesn't mean we have all the answers. I wish we did. And I think sometimes in being a pastor and dealing with God's word, people think, well, don't you have all the answers? No, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. And that's who I talk to every day. And if anybody tells you that we've got all the answers, they're selling you something. And right after that, they might offer you some oceanfront property in Arizona. It ain't going to happen. So realize it begins 
with knowing Jesus. And see, as Paul walks through these weapons, that's, that's the foundation Paul has, is he's thinking about a believer, someone who's following Jesus. And understand, we don't follow Jesus perfectly. We follow a perfect person. We struggle. We wrestle. But the beauty is, we are fully known and fully loved. I mean, you could take 10 seconds and just kind of flip the Rolodex in your mind of your life and think of all the things that would come up and go, why would somebody love me? And yet Jesus still does. He doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because of who he is. Because God is love. And so when you come to know Jesus, now what you have is you have the opportunity to live a life that God has intended you to live. Not a life that is free from trial, because Jesus said in the world you're going to have trouble. It's not a life free from trial, but it's a life lived with the one who knows it all. The one who is sovereign. The one who sees the beginning and the end. And see, as you begin to put on these weapons, begin to put on this gear and these tools, now you've got something to help you. You've got some things you need to hold on to in this battle. And so the last couple of weapons that Paul gives us are what we need to hold on to. And the first one is this. He says, hold on to the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. And I don't know why. Baseball just seems to be on the brain. But I watched the movie 42. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's about the, the life of Jackie Robinson. And I know some of y'all don't like that, but that's a, that's a Dodger story, okay? But growing up with Dodgers, Jackie Robinson, okay? But there's a scene in the movie, and I don't know how accurate it is, but they weren't wearing helmets at that time. It was only just their ball cap. And he gets beamed in the head. But you notice today, guys got the helmet on. A lot of them have things that even come a little bit around their face, because you've got to protect your mind. And that's what Paul says in verse 17. He says, put on salvation as your helmet. Put on salvation as your helmet. See, Satan's goal is he wants to attack the mind. Think about what he did in Genesis 3 when he comes at Eve. He's questioning things and he's challenging her. Did God really say that? And he's starting to twist things and, oh, did God say that? And you notice even Eve's response is she adds some things that God didn't say. Which before we get all on beating up the women, who gave her God's message? That was Adam. Adam is the one who told her what God had said. So realize, there's deceit that's going on. The enemy is coming after. So realize, the idea of the helmet, I want you to think about this, is a mind that is controlled by God. Put that on. Hold on to that. I don't know if you've ever been on a roller coaster and you had a hat on and then you realize, uh-oh. And you're sitting there and you're doing that okay? because you don't want it to come off. And see, the beautiful thing is when it comes to salvation, 1 John 5 tells us these things I've written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know Romans 8 talks about nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Salvation is a settled issue. Which I know is a wrestle for us because sometimes we watch people's lives and we go, how can they do that? And the question may very well be, were they saved to begin with? Did they know Jesus? But see, this helmet of salvation is why it's so important that we engage the brain. 
Our brains are not checked out at the door. We don't give up the intellectual faculties that God has given us. We got to think. We ask questions. We open up God's word and we wrestle with it. We go, I don't understand this passage. I don't understand how to live this way. You see, the problem is when we wrestle and struggle, what has happened in the church too often is we're afraid to talk about things. We don't want to talk about culture. We don't want to talk about sexuality. We don't want to talk about all these things because it gets uncomfortable. But guess what? When we don't talk about them here, especially our young people, they go out to the world because the world will talk about them. And we wonder why our young people get all twisted with different ideas because they're getting it from everywhere but God. And we've got to be willing to dig in and say, this is what God's word says. And so don't check your brain out at the door. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Tell people, it's okay. And here's the one who has the answer. And be honest. It's okay. Three little words. I don't know. I'm learning too. I'm trying to figure it out. And this is why 2 Peter, excuse me, Peter in 2 Peter 3, he's warning the Christians there. He says, but you, friends, are well warned. Be on guard lest you lose your footing and get swept off by your feet by these lawless and loose-talking teachers. Grow in grace and understanding of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. I like that. That's how the message says it. But that idea of understanding, there's knowledge. Knowledge is engaging the mind. But see, the problem is, is we have too many believers who are fat with knowledge and very thin on application. God's word is not as effective if it stays in here and doesn't come out through your hands and your feet. We've got to live it. And that's what Paul's saying. You put this on. You use it. You've got to use it. And so part of the truth and part of why we've got to protect our minds with the helmet of salvation is to be reminded that we do belong to Jesus. Because that's one of Satan's greatest weapons. When you sin... Those questions begin, are you really a believer? Man, look at what you just did. Look at that, what you just said to someone. How you got all crazy in the car when they cut you off. But now nah, we don't do that. My, Heather had to say something to me yesterday because we were behind somebody. I'm like, it's green, it's green, it's green. You know, I'm like, like the light can't get any greener. You know, man. But see, that's what he wants to do is remind us of all our failures, and everything we've done wrong. And see, I love the phrase, when Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. We know who wins. And honestly, I would say, you don't even get in the conversation. I could feel it the other day when I got up in the morning, and I was thinking about things, and I could feel kind of worry coming on. I was like, I know what this is. I know where this is coming from. It's exactly what Bobby read last week out of James 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will feed from you. I don't need any of that. I'm praying out loud. I'm walking around my house. If you saw me, I'd probably look crazy. I'm like, Jesus, I want you. I don't want that. My mind belongs to you. Satan's got no place here. And so that knowledge that we're holding on to is the gospel and the hope and the good news, and that no matter what comes, we know who we belong to. The truth is, Jesus says, you are my son, you are my daughter. You belong to me. See, and that's what begins to protect us, that helmet of salvation. 
Remembering those things. Ephesians 1 is a great passage about all these things we're talking about. Belonging to Christ and our position, our identity. Because that is so much, I believe, what we struggle with. Realizing how loved we are. I was listening to a song. It's, it's, the name of the song is Jireh. And if you ever heard that phrase, Jehovah Jireh. And if I remember, I think it's about God being a provider. But I love there's a line in the song that says, I'm never more loved than I am right now. I mean, do we think about that? Because I think most often we're, we're thinking, man, I don't feel real lovely right now. But maybe on Sunday when I'm at church, God loves me more. That's not God. God doesn't love you anymore. He loves you with all of who he is. That's a beautiful thing. But see, this is what the helmet gives us and reminds us who we are in him. And so part of what we've got to hold on to is that position. My position in Christ, this is who I belong to. And let go of the past. I mean, that's part of the thing about the past. It should be behind you. We've got where we are now, and we look with hope towards tomorrow. We've got to hold on to our position now. But see, there's more to it than just holding on to that. And see, this is the active part of we gain knowledge, we grow in this, and we hold on to the helmet. But then what do we do with it? And I think that's where Paul was trying to help Timothy. Because in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. And he says, Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Why did I give it to you so you can give it away? The whole point of what we're doing, the mission that God has given to us is make disciples. We are disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and we keep making disciples. And if you think you're not discipling someone, you're wrong. There is someone somewhere in your life that is watching you. And when they watch you, you are discipling them how you handle things, how you respond. And again, it's not in perfection. Often it's in humility. It's growing in the grace. It's saying, I'm sorry. It's asking for forgiveness. But you're being watched. You are discipling. And especially if you have kids, oh my goodness. You know, you say something. It'll come up somewhere. They'll repeat what you had to say. Realize we are making disciples, but how much more powerful if we intentionally engage in that? We encourage one another. Ladies who have been moms and who have had kids to come alongside other moms and just encourage and support, maybe say, hey, can I watch your kids for an hour? I know I hear a little chuckle back there. See, there are so many things that we need help with. I will never forget when we first bought our first house. I'm like, I don't know how to take care of a house. What am I supposed to do with this? There's a lot of stuff here. And see, thinking about older men, older dads who come alongside, okay, here's some of the things you got to take care of. But see, in those moments, what allows then, we can also talk about Jesus. We can also talk about family. We can pray together. We can talk together. See, it's sharing life. Pass it on. See, too many of us are going, well, I'm not a teacher. I can't do this. I can't do that. And again, that's exactly where Satan wants to get you, thinking you can't. When God has said, I've called you to do. 
pass this on. But it's hard because we live in a world where I'm so sad to see we keep seeing high-profile leaders, Christian artists who are just walking away, who are saying, I don't believe it anymore. When I was in high school, there was a guy by the name of Josh Harris. He wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Which I don't know why he would write that, but anyway, he did. Um, But it kind of started this big purity movement. And a lot of people grabbed on the idea of courting and what you would do up to marriage. And that thing was big, and and I remember seeing the book, and we had true love weights and purity rings and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not knocking that part, but he became a pastor, big church and all that. And in the last year or two, he's just said, nope, I was wrong. And walked away from it. And I tell you, I don't don't get it. Like, how is that possible? How do you encounter Jesus? How do you encounter who he is and then walk away from that? I don't understand. And I don't know everything about his life. But I have no doubt some of you know people in your life who grew up in church and they have nothing to do with it today. And even those who have walked in aisle, been in the baptistry. And I think sometimes that's why we're, we're afraid because maybe somebody knows we made a decision and you come to a place where you realize it wasn't real whether it was emotion, whether it was, you know what, somebody else was doing it, and I just followed. Stories of deacons who really weren't saved and got saved. See, we've got to be careful, and we've got to be on guard. And that's why every single week, somewhere, we will talk about Jesus. We will talk about the good news, because you never know. It should always remind us of how much we need him, and we've got to hold on to Jesus Spending time in his word. See, as you hold on to him, now we get to grow and we get to learn and we do that together. That's the beauty of what God has given us. But part of how we grow and how we learn and we walk as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is we've got to hold on to the next weapon. This next weapon is big. This next weapon is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. And this is probably the one that's most most fun. I mean, if you like Star Wars, you know, you got your lightsaber and like, yeah, you know. But Paul finishes verse 17. He says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. I know a lot of you walked in today. You you got your sword. You're carrying it with you. Mine's on my hip, see? I always got it right there wherever I go. But you hold on to the Word of God. And see, what we're talking about is the inspired Word of God. But see, do you realize you can have the Word of God with you, but not actually have a book? Especially when you get that Word in here. See, this is really where we need to get the Word, is in here. And it starts by getting it in here. We've got to get these two connected. We get God's Word in our lives. But interestingly, about all the weapons, this is the only offensive weapon. Everything else is intended to defend yourself. Now, I would never say, and I think it would be kind of stupid, because we've got to have the balance of the fact that the enemy is powerful. So I don't think we need to go at him. Right? All right, Scripture tells us, okay, flee, run. Right? And I wish David would have done that on that rooftop, that he had fleed. Read that story this morning, Bible reading, David and Bathsheba. But see, this is the offensive weapon we're given. But the idea for a Roman soldier is this most likely was not, some of you might be thinking of a long sword. This is more like a short sword. 
See, this is the in-close, up-front fighting. We're, you know, a big sword is going to work when you've got a little more distance, but we're talking up-close. Now we're getting into where this is going to be some fighting that can really do some damage. And that's why the enemy comes at us so hard with the Word of God. But notice Jesus' response when he was tempted. Time after time, he said, it is written. It is written. The Word of God. That's what he was using to respond to him. But then Satan, of course, he's, he's crafty. So what does he do? Well, he uses the word of God too. But he twists it. Leaves some things out. Quotes out of Psalms 91. But see, what we've got to realize is the sword. The sword is only going to be as useful as the one who's holding it. It's only going to be useful as the one who is holding it. And so we've got to be careful when we pick up this sword because it's living and powerful. And Hebrews 4 gives us an idea of what this is like. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So if you want to be able to wield this sword, to be able to use it, you've got to have the Spirit. This is the sword of the Spirit. This is the inspired Word of God. So to be able to pick this up, that Spirit's got to be within you. And that's why we talked about it at the beginning. You've got to be on the team. Because I know people who read this book and it does nothing to them. And I think one, that's because they don't know Jesus, and two, because they don't want to deal with their sin. You want to block God's work in your life? Sin you haven't dealt with. Bitterness that you've got against someone? You haven't forgiven somebody for a way they hurt you? You got anger within your heart? Any of these things. You want to keep God from moving in you? Don't repent. Don't confess the sin. And you can hinder what God wants to do. But see, when you open this word and humbly submit to it, as James says, it's the mirror. And I think that's maybe why people don't want to open it, because it shows us who we are. Because that was the one thing, as Heather and I were talking this morning, we, we read about David and Bathsheba and that whole series of events. And like, how could he do that? At first, he's not where he's supposed to be. Then he sleeps with her. Then he gets Uriah here. And then he has Uriah killed. And Uriah goes out to battle, carrying the very message that he's supposed to die. How do you get that far? That you're just like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? Well, you got hate in your heart. You're guilty of murder. So now that moment, we're getting all high on our horse because, well, at least I'm not like David and sleeping around. Then we go, oh, man. There's some people in my life I've not felt good about. And seeing it reminds us. We're no better. At any point in time in the church, it blows my mind when we start to feel better about ourselves. We're not better. Knowing Jesus just means we're better off. But see, again, this sword that we're talking about, you've got to pick it up. You've got to let it move in you. And what's interesting about a sword in real life, if you had a physical sword, the more you use a sword, the duller it gets you got to keep sharpening it. But see, the more you use the Word of God, the sharper it gets in your life. 
And see, that's a beautiful thing. Keep picking it up. But see, we're, we're in a, a place in time where, I, where the phrase of biblical illiteracy, the lack of knowledge and understanding of the Word of God just continues to go. Barner Research did a study in June of 2020. And in their study, 22% are reading the Bible daily. 22%. And see, I, I want you to understand, I'm not saying this because I want to guilt people. I want to make anybody feel bad about your time with God. But I want you to understand what you're doing is you're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of all that God wants to do in those areas and those places of hurt and worry and fear and concern that God just wants you to have freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And John tells us, and you will know the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus. What does the truth do? It sets you free. See, unless we spend time in God's Word, unless we know these things, we're going to continue to struggle and walk in bondage. But see, when it comes to biblical literacy, when it comes to your knowledge of God's Word, there's a direct link between your knowledge and understanding and application of the Word of God and your involvement in biblical community. Those two things are directly related. This lie that is going around today of it's just me and Jesus. There's no lone rangers in Christianity, the Lone Ranger at Tonto. Come on. Okay? We don't do this alone. We do this together. And see, in biblical communities where we talk and where we push on each other, how does iron sharpen iron? By making contact. And I know COVID has messed up a lot of things, but we've got to start moving and figure out whatever the comfort level is, we come back together and we engage. We need to be together. We've got to pick up the sword together. Because if we don't, it gets scary. And I like, I think there's a true statement that Warren Wiersbe said. Someone said to him, you can prove anything by the Bible. You can prove anything by the Bible. And he said, true. If you take verses out of context, leave out words, and apply verses to Christians today that do not really apply. So yeah, you can make the Bible apply to anything especially if you don't know the Bible. And see, that's what we have a lot going on today, a lot of verse snatching. Oh, I like that verse. That's going to be my verse. Well, do you understand what's going on there? Do you know what was said in that context? And see, what happens is, is say, I think in those moments, the enemy Satan's just having to feel that, oh, yeah, he's just getting giddy. Woo, they're taking God's word and they're twisting it. Yes. And oh, man, that makes me angry. See, we've got to hold on to the word of God. Hold on to it. This book changes lives. I mean, think, think about the Gideons. They can leave this in a drawer, in a hotel, and people come to know Jesus. How God can do things. But see, we've got to remember that in some people's lives, the only Bible they're ever going to read is going to be you. And is your life going to show it? But see, if you're not putting on the sword, if you're not taking this up, what good is it? I would say it's not any good at all. It's pretty worthless. But see, when we hold on to Jesus' way, Jesus, I'm going to do what you did. What did Jesus do? He shared the word of God. What did Jesus do? He lived the word of God. He defended himself in the battle with the word of God. 
We follow Jesus' way. That's what we need to hold on to. That whole idea of what would Jesus do? We know what Jesus would do. He did it. But the problem is we don't know it because we don't spend time in his word. And this is one place I agree with Nike. Just do it. Just do it. And I, and I don't want to minimize. I know there's struggle and there's challenges. But I can tell you when you do things God's way, oh, man, it's going to be a lot better than you doing it your way. And I think, I think Paul, and I can't remember when he wrote Ephesians and Romans, but in Romans 13, he said some things that I think kind of really bring all this together. He said, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. See, everything we've been talking about, all these weapons, put them on. And think back to where we started. Put on the belt of truth. Who is truth? Jesus. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus' righteousness. Put on the shoes of peace. Who is our peace? Jesus. Put on the helmet of salvation. Who is our salvation? Jesus. Use the word of God. And who is the word of God? Jesus. See, when we put on Jesus, when we trust Christ, when we put Jesus on, we're putting all of the armor on. And so realize, if you know Jesus, you have all the armor. And see, I think a lot of times we're thinking, okay, well, when I reach this point, when I get older, when I learn enough, then I've got it. If you've got Jesus, you've got it now. But see, we've got to recognize that because we're in the battle. It's not a battle that will come. It's a battle that's here. It's a battle that's now. Now, we know there's more to come. In the same way, when it comes to fire season, we know more are probably going to come. There are going to be more battles to fight. But as hopefully we get better at fighting, in the same way California tries to do things ahead of time, we're going to be a lot better than a volunteer fire department that I heard about in Arkansas. And I don't know what year this is from, but they had a thing at this fire department in Arkansas that what they did was you had to pay a fee an annual fee in order for them to protect your house, to protect your property. And so what would happen is if your place caught on fire and you hadn't paid the fee, but your neighbors had, they would come out and watch your fire burn so they'd be ready to protect the next house. And so they'd show up just in time. Now, if your neighbor's house was on fire, but yours wasn't, you could pay the fee real quick. As long as you did it before the fire started, you were good. And see, I think that's what a lot of us are doing when it comes to the battle. Oh, when I see the battle, well, then I'll put on the armor. I'm going to wait till it shows up. It's already here. We've got to stop fooling ourselves and thinking we're not in it because we are. And I pray that we won't be like that fire department, like those people, that we gear up now, we put it on, letting go Letting go of the things that hinder us. Letting go of everything else and holding on to Jesus. I pray that we hold on to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are good and faithful, Lord. I thank you that you are always there. 
And Lord, I know so many times I've, I've done it in my own life and I see it within me more than I like where I start doing things my way, feel uncomfortable, thinking I got this. And then something comes along to clearly remind me I don't. And so, Jesus, I pray that you help us to remember how much we need you. And I pray if there's one here this morning who just has never said, Jesus, I need you. I've been looking around, trying to find something that's going to satisfy my soul, that is going to deal with the, the pain or the hurt or the anger, all the things that are within me. And nothing does. And I pray that today would be the day where they say, Jesus, I need you. And see all that you've done for them, Jesus, how you walked this earth. You bled and died on a cross for them. Jesus, your love went so far. If they'd been the only one, you would have done it. But you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave to show the power you have over life and death and everything. To help us to see the power now that we have, Jesus, when we follow you. I pray that today would be that day where they would surrender. And Lord, there may be some in this room who've already made that decision. But Lord, when we come to know you, it doesn't mean everything goes rosy and nice and pretty. Life is hard. And Lord, there may be places where we've started to settle back into doing it our way. We've let that spirit of bitterness, resentment, whatever it may be, to begin to take root in our hearts. And Jesus, I pray that there would be repentance, there would be a U-turn, that we would stop going that direction and turn and go towards you. Whatever decision we need to make, Jesus, help us to make it. Help us to let go of what's holding us back in Jesus that we put on you. We put on you. Thank you, Father. Lead us. Back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.